0: Hey, welcome back to the Silver Fortune podcast. Uh, so today I have I have a lot on my mind, a lot I want to talk about in regards to uh, inflation and, and precious metals, uh, and and I promise that this is not just going to be a repeat of everything I've been saying for for you know as long as I've had this channel or for the last couple of years. Um, but but certainly some some really interesting things that I've I've come upon and and some. You know how some of these ideas just become more cohesive as, as they go along. So I want to talk about that real quick before we get started. Uh, it's a quick housekeeping. Stay tuned for the end of today's podcast. Um, I'll be uh, announcing the, the winners of the giveaway that I posted last week, uh, last week prior, I guess, a little over a week ago now. And, and then the other thing that, uh, I'll be talking about here at the end is, is a bit of a new program initiative. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, something that I want to put into practice here on, on this podcast, um, in, in reference to, to helping others, uh, in this space, especially those that are seeking to, to have a bigger voice or seeking to put quality time and, and effort into content production. And, you know, how can I help them along the way? Um, anyways, yeah, into this, you know, the main topic of, of inflation, hyperinflation, uh, where are we at right now here, you know, towards the end of 2021? You know, it's a, it feels almost a little surreal seeing inflation where it is right now, and, and and especially since it's been there so consistently. And we're seeing it evident in so many different markets and asset prices, especially commodities. I mean, for years, we'd see asset inflation in the stock market, in the bond market, in the real estate market. But now to see it in things like commodities, um, metals, and not just precious metals, but, but base metals, uh, we're seeing it in, in energy prices, and obviously, you know, the fuels that go into you know energy production. We're seeing it in food prices and a lot of the food commodities. It's a little surreal. You, you know what I mean? Uh, let's say, like a sports fan out there. If you're if you're a sports fan, I'm not. I mean, I'm a sports fan, but maybe not this big. But you know, let's say you grow up. A Yankees fan, right? But maybe you're, maybe you're poor, you know, you're listening on the radio, watching on TV, but then, you know, one day you're an adult and you get to go to a Yankees game for the first time ever. And it's something you've always looked forward to. And it probably felt a little surreal being in that stadium for the first time. Or maybe like, let's say, you know, relationships wise. Okay. Let's say there's a guy or a gal that you're really into and it's like your dream person. Like you couldn't imagine being with anybody else. And then, you know, there's that moment where you realize that like, Hey, they might want to be with you too, and then you know eventually you guys end up together, spend the rest of your life together, and some some point along the line it feels sort of surreal, like this isn't this can't be happening not to me, right? And 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 sometimes that doesn't really go away either, which which is always awesome too. Uh, that's how I feel sometimes looking at inflation. Maybe not necessarily in a positive way when it comes to, to precious metals, uh, when it comes to the economy, when it comes to prices. Not always in a positive way, but it's a little surreal because there's been so many in the space, including myself, saying, Hey, you know, this path we're heading on, it's, it's inflationary. Uh, we're, you know, we got big problems coming up ahead. You can't just print money indefinitely. You can't just spend money indefinitely. You can't just do this, that. And, you know, for a while, if you look at the CPI numbers, if you look at some other, you know, even if, even if that was, you know, certainly, and continues to understate inflation significantly, um, you know, it was easy for a lot of people to say, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, you're calling for inflation, you're calling for hyperinflation and look, the CPI number is like 0.5% year over year. I mean, where where's the inflation? And that was the case for years, you know, people, well, Kiwi one comes out and two and three and, and, uh, And each time people said, you know, inflation, hyperinflation, and, and, you know, it didn't happen initially. And of course, the response was, well, you must be wrong. I mean, it's maybe your model of, of economics is entirely off. It it feels like, like many of us have been vindicated, though certainly we're only in the early innings of this, uh, of this baseball game. Um, but, but it does feel a little surreal. And, and we're certainly, I think, seeing a better picture of how this is going to play out um, in the coming years in terms of inflation and how damaging it's going to be to, to us as individuals in our daily lives. You know, I was listening to, I want to start off by, I was listening to a, a podcast. Um, this was published last Thursday. It's over Macro Voices and it, and it was uh, Eric Townsend um, <laughs> who, who, who previously has um, uh, said not so nice things about some people that are really bullish on precious metals and whatnot and and, 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 you know, I think mischaracterized and whatever. I try not to hold too much ill will against the guy. And he does have some awesome guests on his, on his podcast pretty regularly. And the one he had on last Thursday, uh, is Luke Roman. Luke Roman, um, has, has come on his podcast many, many times over the years. Um, runs a firm called Forest for the Trees. Uh, In my opinion, Luke Roman is, is a national treasure. He's, he's, um, he for years now has maybe put together the most coherent picture of, of what inflationists such as myself see coming, um, in the coming years and, and has, has put that out there in such a a concise and, and a logical manner. And and he's been such a great antidote to so many, you know, deflationists or people that fall in other camps, you know, including the ones that are on places like Macro Voices. I'm thinking of like Jeff Snyder and and um um, um Brent Johnson uh and and others, um I think David Rosenberg, I think that's one. Uh yeah you know, people that basically say, you know, inflation is not coming. Look, we're, we're dealing with deflation for you know, milkshake, um, dollar milkshake theory or, or, uh, euro dollar markets or what? Oh, smart guys. And all of them, for the most part, don't hold a very bullish outlook on the U.S. economy, um, and, and another, um, There's a lot of overlap between, let's say, myself or Luke or whoever, and their views on things. It's just that they see the dollar and inflation very differently over the coming, you know, next couple of years. And Luke consistently has pointed out and has stated on the record, you know, that he expects inflation to continue to rise or for it to to come and then continue to rise from there. You know, so he was was presenting some really interesting ideas, some of which I've discussed in the past here on this podcast uh, in reference to inflation. And, and to sum it up, and this is something again that I've talked about, and certainly some of this is going to be myself adding to, to some of the concepts that he presented, is that in today's world in 2021, we have a lot of processes that for years have moved in a deflationary direction. Uh, for example, things like globalization, um, and, and that those processes have, I'll be, I'll be kind of going over them here completely here in a second, but that they have reversed and that those processes, you know, for years kind of offset a lot of inflationary factors, including fiscal policy, monetary policy from the U.S. and other central banks and governments, which, you know, all else being equal, should have been very inflationary. Of course, we didn't see that to the extent that money might include myself predicted or, you know, for a while, at least we're certainly seeing it now. And that these processes are in many ways pointing in, in a very inflationary direction. Now now to kind of sum this up on a list, you know I already mentioned monetary and, and fiscal stimulus. Uh, I'm talking in central banks, uh, low, low interest rates, quantitative easing, and other programs um that have the effect of, of um inflating the monetary supply, um decreasing rates, um subsidizing the bond market, subsidizing government deficits, on and on and on. Okay. Very inflationary. Of course fiscal stimulus overspending by a government, especially deep deep into debt. That's inflationary uh, but then we've also seen a lot of other things emerge in recent years that uh, recent months even that have have pointed more in inflationary direction deglobalization I think is a big one uh, whether it's manufacturing overseas um, offshore from from the United States or um, closer closer ties with other countries on the basis of an economic um, you know Sharing a similar goal, economically speaking, Uh, we're not trending in that direction. Certainly, with our biggest trading partner, China, here in the United States, our biggest trading partner, um, but certainly others. And I don't think that that's something that has left. You know, now Trump's not in office; that suddenly we're heading back into globalization again. I think our our relationship with China continues to be pretty poor, and I think there is a strong impetus for many companies. And, and industries to at least attempt to bring their manufacturing back to uh, the United States, and that's inflationary. It, it, maybe it's a good thing, but it's inflationary because it is you know well, expensive both to move that into then um, you know conduct your operations in the United States. I mean that's why they left offshore in the first place or south of the border um, because it's cheaper to do business that way. Well, some of that is is kind of reversing here. That's inflationary. De-dollarization. It's an inflationary process. And it's certain, it's, it it continues to this day. This is something that many have picked up on for years now. But de-dollarization, this takes many different shapes and forms. This could include markets for major commodities and and other assets that are carried out in non-dollar currency. Uh, for example, rubles or, or yuan. Those tend to be the two biggest ones, but certainly other ones as well. Um, this can also be seen in a shift away from, from, uh, U.S. dollar denominated debt, especially sovereign debt, uh, government bonds, U.S. government bonds, uh, seen a shift away from that. I don't have the data. I know Wolf Richter from Wall Street usually updates that pretty regularly. Like, I think on a monthly basis, you know, who owns our debt? And I, I don't have the data in front of me, but certainly that's another form of de-dollarization, especially by our big holders, uh, Japan, China, and others. And then sentiment, sentiment shift, you know, over the weekend, I think it was over the weekend or late last week, we had that really interesting tweet, um, by, by Jack from, uh, from, from Twitter, um, the founder of Twitter. His last name's escaping me right here. On, uh, you know, um, it's not, not. Don't quite have it right in front of me. Uh, but basically he uh I don't again I don't have the tweet in front of me either, but he's talking about hyperinflation. He throws that term out there, which garnered a ton of interest. And a lot of people probably wondering, you know, what is that what is that? And and what the heck is Jack of all people talking about it? You know, this is Twitter we're talking about. This isn't just some small um startup, this isn't um, you know, some crackpot conspiracy theorist, but, but the founder of Twitter tweeting about hyperinflation, what the heck is going on there, right? And I think that represents a sentiment shift that has been shared by many in the precious metals community, cryptocurrency community, and I think is is gaining momentum in broader society, especially when, hey, people actually start to see inflation in front of their very own Eyes, right? For a while, inflation was something that happened back in the seventies, or at least to a high, you know, great extent, you know, 10% year over year or greater, you know, that's something that happened in the seventies, right? Or that's something that happens in Zimbabwe or, or, um, Venezuela or, or, you know, a lot of, you know, emerging market economies deal with kind of persistently high inflation. But we're seeing a sentiment shift where higher and higher inflation expectations have arrived. And that just so happens to coincide with higher and higher inflation. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, what what does this mean, you know, going forward. And and also I should I should bring up one other idea that that Luke brought up as well is um aging demographics which uh the, the, as he pointed out, I'm just kind of summing up his his thesis on this is that aging demographics um conventional wisdom would 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 say that aging demographics are a Deflationary process. The old people don't spend as much, basically. Um, but but he he kind of looked at it from a different angle and basically said you have all these baby boomers that are now reaching retirement age with massive retirements in their four hundred one ks and and elsewhere, pensions, iras, all that. Uh, those funds are invested primarily in equities and bonds and and you know some other allocation elsewhere. But that's a good chunk of it. You know the majority of it are in those two asset classes, and that as they age and as they are now in retirement and drawing down those assets well basically you have you have billions and billions of dollars that had sat in those funds sat in those stocks and asset classes which yes inflated the the price of those assets because you know essentially it's, it's a demand for those those stocks or those bonds or or commercial real estate or ETFs or what, what have you. Um, but as they're now drawing down those funds, you have billions and billions of dollars that basically were just sitting there with very low velocity and are now in the economy because they're spending them. They're spending them on rent. They're spending them on their mortgage payment or on cost of living or whatever it might be, vacations, but they're spending it. It's in the economy. And, you know, velocity is an important part of, um, of inflation and and that process is just beginning as a lot of these baby boomers hit that that age of retirement. And he also brought up how those in many ways have helped sterilize years and years of deficit spending by the US government because so much um capital has flown flowed into uh into bonds and into stocks and and uh and, and helped sterilize that and sterilize some of the inflation that should have occurred uh in the past because of that fiscal stimulus. So again, there's no other factor. Some of this is him, some of this is me that I'm adding on to this. But 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 I want to get the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is to set up sort of as the premise for the bigger question here is in the coming years, the next 10 years, next 20 years, is the U.S. looking at a hyperinflationary event? Well, that's I think a really important question. And again, many would say. Mind you, many of the same people that would say that we're not going to deal with high inflation in the first place, persistently high inflation, would say that something like hyperinflation is something that's usually reserved for, um, second or third world countries for, um, currencies that are minor in the whole scheme of things. Certainly not a reserve, world reserve currency like the US dollar, which, which is a big tailwind for the dollar and continues to be so. Um, but, but certainly that hyperinflation is not something we could see in the dollar under, you know, quote unquote normal circumstances, unless, you know, the entire U.S. economy and, and, and government and, and society just collapsed overnight. The hyperinflation isn't something that would happen here. And so it sort of shifts the argument. Now I'm going to loop back to the hyperinflation here, but it shifts the argument in the direction of, well, okay, if not hyperinflation, then we're going to be dealing with secular inflation. Inflate secular inflation that's going to be persistent. It's going to be far higher than, you know, 2%. Of course, you know, the current 5-ish percent, you know, year over year is still, I think, understated. Um, I I should say 5-some percent month over month annualized. I don't know exactly what the year over year is right now in terms of like the CPI number, but that's understated. You know, it's probably closer to 10%. Um, And that's going to stick around for a number of years and not just through the end of the year. It's not just going to be transitory. Here, you know, one year and, and gone the next, but that's sticking around for a lot of these problems, a lot of these reasons that we discussed, Foremost of which I think are the, the, the monetary and fiscal stimulus that the U.S. government, central bank, and, and other governments and central banks continue to provide to the economy. Um, th- that is one factor that is not going to the exit this conversation anytime soon until this kind of all falls apart or is reset somehow. So we're dealing with secular inflation. What does that look like? 5%, 10% year over year inflation for 10 years? Uh, no, no, what he's talking about, Luke, is that something like that could be managed by the government to help deflate, uh, sorry, not deflate, inflate away our, our sovereign debts to make them a smaller percentage of GDP, because certainly GDP would continue to rise without inflation in theory and, and that you know our our soaring debt to gdp levels would would come back down to earth. um that's like an ideal situation, you know, that they could do something like that 10%, you know, 15%, 5% whatever year over year and, and we can just prepare accordingly. Now, now the problem with that is is we have to ask ourselves if over a 10-15 year period, especially with the state of the US government, um society, uh, kind of the course that the US has taken since its birth, As, as a major world power, especially in the post-World War II world, you know, can we, can we sustain something like that while also sustaining our geopolitical and our economic, you know, supremacy, um, or at least as, as one of the major powers? And of course, what goes along with that is also the US dollar as a world reserve currency. I mean, you have to ask yourself, okay, if we're dealing with secular inflation, let's say 8% year over year for 10 years, right? That's, that's a significant value of the US dollar that's going to be inflated away, right? You have to imagine what's going to happen to the bond markets, what's going to happen to bond holders, what's going to happen to the allocation into bonds by, let's say, China, Japan, foreign investors as a whole, and certainly domestic investors as well. You know, what happens to rates, especially if they continue to be suppressed um, as it relates to, you know, real yields, if rates continue to be suppressed... Uh, can is that something that's sustainable, right? If the dollar continues to decline in this manner for you know year after year after year, and you know, ten years from now it's lost over half of its value, maybe over two-thirds of its value, or more, certainly. Can the US then continue to claim the world reserve currency? Can can we maintain that? And I think the answer to that is probably not. Now I know some would say, well, you know, okay, we got we got a lot of other currencies and economies that are probably going to go the same direction, but the euro and the pound and the you know, the ruble and yuan and, and some of these other smaller currencies, the yen, uh, they're all going to kind of go in that same direction. Uh, inflation, right? And then, you know, well, even if we all inflate away at 10% a year, well, if the dollars keep in pace with them or even maybe a little lower inflation, then, hey, it's still going to maintain that reserve status. Now, the, the counter argument to that is that in 2021, this is a very different landscape than even 2011 or 2001. One Um, one similarity is that, um, gold and silver are still out there, right? As, as a potential replacement. I'm not saying an entire replacement that the entire, you know, IMF and BIS and central banks and and global economies are going to run the, you know, a gold standard necessarily. Um, but, but that that's certainly a direction which a lot of central banks and governments can go is into gold and, and silver to some extent. But, but the other side of that is also uh there's a lot of other options out there as well, including cryptocurrencies. I'm not advocating for them as, as some sort of a replacement for the dollar and reserve currency and whatnot, but they're out there. Those other options are out there. For the U.S. government, or, or for for consumers and co- countries and, and companies to to choose, right, unless you know they're forcefully you know outlawed, which which you do see from time to time in places like Turkey or or you know Venezuela or whatnot, you know, kind of this attack on on other you know replacements, you know, in Venezuela maybe on the dollar. I don't know exactly what the rules are, but you know, you could try to legislate that away. Maybe this is part of a transition to a central bank um, created. Uh, digital currency. It's hard to say. Um, but, but it, I think the answer to that question is that the U.S. dollar, as we know it, over a 10 year period of secular inflation cannot retain its reserve currency status, especially when taken into context of the broader course of U.S. society and political and geopolitical power. That 20, the 2020s, the U.S. is in an entirely different situation than the 1970s. We had a falling dollar. We had, we had just taken off the gold standard. You know, in the 1970s, we had that inflation for many, many years, but the U.S. was still the supreme military power and the supreme economic power of the world, right? You could argue that Russia was close militarily on paper when it came to nukes and whatnot, but economically it wasn't even close, right? Our sphere of influence stretched far beyond theirs, right? That's not the case for 2020, the 2020s. And I'm just not sure if we can maintain that. And of course, the question then that we have to go from there is, is if we do lose reserve currency status, if the U.S. dollar begun, you know, in this period of secular inflation, uh, it it starts to get treated more like, let's say like the euro or the yen as part of the weighting, you know, in, in, um, um, you know, forex reserves or in, uh, um, you know, investors in terms of their bond weighting and whatnot, that it's just a small portion instead of kind of the premier bond or the premier currency for liquidity and whatnot. Um, can, can we maintain just secular inflation then at that point? Or would we automatically move to hyperinflation at that point or much, much higher inflation? And, and where does that, where, you know, what's the threshold for that at that point? Um, Happy The happy Hawaiian over on Twitter, he's posting about this um, earlier, uh, actually yesterday, uh, quote, economists saying it's not hyperinflation until 50% a month are insane. i am officially changed it to 50% per year. Most people losing half their purchasing power in a year would call it hyperinflation. We don't need to wait for currency to drop 99.98% in a year. What crockery. And I think he makes a great point that this def- definition of hyperinflation is a little arbitrary and it just doesn't line up with reality. And then if we're realistically experiencing something like 5%, 10% inflation month over month, um, that's that's hyperinflation in my book. We're a long ways from that. But again, you can see where this is heading in terms of secular um, stagflation, secular inflation, um, loss of the world reserve currency, all those dollars coming home, um, uh, that lack of demand for the bonds with yields rising, or else you know the Fed printing even more money to buy up those bonds, um, that's inflationary. Now another thing that people will talk about that that Luke also brought up is this idea that that uh, debt is deflationary, which which certainly to some extent can be true. Um, but but one thing that I thought was really interesting that he had brought up was that uh, it's that's not really the case anymore when when it's at the sovereign level. Right. And, and this is kind of a common argument that modern monetary theorists will make is basically that, well, you know, the sovereign government can take on all that debt rather than, you know, corporate and, 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 you know, corporate America and, and, uh, consumers taking on that debt. The sovereign, um, the sovereign, the U.S. government can take on that debt, thus relieving them of those burdens. And, uh, and that there's not a huge impact from it. Of course, you know, besides inflation, that's always kind of the big counter to the MMT theory is, well, inflation is a huge thing to worry about. But he's basically was talking about how, you know, at the sovereign level, it fails to, to be deflationary. It's inflationary because, at least in today's climate, because um they're going to have to continue to pay those um, debts. They're going to continue to have to print money to to pay the ever-rising bill on those debts. You know, another really interesting thing that he pointed out is that, Tax receipts no longer exceed what he calls true interest expense. That's what, um, he has termed, um, interest, uh, rate payments on, on debt for the U.S. government as well as, um, you know, ongoing obligations, entitlements mostly, that those two combined together now exceed, um, tax receipts. And that that puts the U.S. government in a very difficult position to where, uh, there's no clear way out of this except inflation right? Uh, Inflation or else you're going to let the whole system fall apart. And what I'm arguing here is that, you know, secular inflation is so easy to move from secular inflation to to borderline hyperinflation. Maybe not 50% month over month, but 10% month over month. I mean, that is a scary world to live in for a lot of Western consumers that are not accustomed to such inflation. 5 or 10% is a lot. And again, not something we've seen really to this extent since the 70s. It's coming. And, and like I said, it, it's sort of surreal seeing this all play out. And, and it's, um, and, you know, in terms of investments, in terms of precious metals and what I think precious metals, uh, commodities as a whole makes some of the most sense. Certainly real estate, although it ex- is expensive, makes sense. The stocks can make sense. Although you do have to wonder, you know, what, what's the uh, profit potential for some of these companies in a high inflationary world? Um, especially a lot of these ones that are based on on like consumer goods that are that have a little bit of um, consumer goods that or, or, or food items that are a bit of a should we call it luxury? Now, like Starbucks, for example, right? Starbucks isn't a luxury store per se, um, but but Starbucks is one of those things that an inflationary world where everything is rising in cost, and your wages probably aren't rising in tandem with that, and your budget is getting tighter. And of course, the cost of Starbucks has going up in tandem with inflation, uh, the cost of the coffee and the drinks and whatnot. Then that might be, you know, a logical choice to cut out of your, you know, budget. A lot of those discretionary spending type items. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, stocks and inflation environment are going to do much, much better. And of course, the, the major, the two major currencies or major asset classes that are going to suffer the most are, are bonds and currencies, including the US dollar, of course so like i said it's a little surreal but this is uh, it would appear to be what's not on the horizon but what's sort of already arrived at this point so i'd love to hear your thoughts on this down below in the comment section you know can we have secular inflation without it ending in hyperinflation um you know duke it out down below now moving on to the the housekeeping items that i that i talked about at the very beginning of this podcast um giveaways um, I, I, want to kind of go through that real quick. We had a giveaway last Friday, not this past Friday, but the Friday before. Um, it, it was sort of celebrating the, uh, five year anniversary of this channel as well as, um, the, the publication of my first book. There's a link down below in the description if you want to check it out. Uh, it's a fiction book. It's not nonfiction. Um, and it's not narrated by me. So if you get sick of my voice for the, you know, 20 plus minutes I've been talking here, it's not narrated by me. Um, so go figure. Uh, anyways, the, 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 the giveaway items, we had a total of 40 entries, technically, uh, 43 because one, um, one entrant chose to make a extra video on his channel. And so that got him an extra three entries as I kind of laid out in the giveaway video. And, uh, you know, the odds of winning were pretty good on that basis. Um, five, uh, the five people are going to be winning uh fifth, fourth and third. We're going to be winning a copy of the book. I can get it to you. Uh, I'll talk about that here in a second, but in audiobook format, paperback or, um, Sorry, uh, or, or I think in Kindle format as well, but also check on that. Um, then in second place was a one ounce, uh, silver round. And then in first place was a one ounce silver poured silver bar. Um, that was one of those very unique and rare, um, silver fortune poured bars. So let's go through this real quick. Um, fifth, fourth, and third. I'm just going to read off part of your, um, Email, I'm not gonna give the whole entire thing away. Of course, to enter this contest, you had to subscribe to my newsletter um, for my book. So um fifth place here, we'll go through this real quick. Uh Preacher Man. I'm not gonna give away the entire email, but if you know who I'm referring to, um you, you do win a free copy of this book. By the way, I'll be emailing each of you um individually about this. Um another winner of the book, uh Josiah. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but Josiah, if you're if you're listening, um stay tuned for an email. Um, Abdullah. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but Abdullah, if you're, uh, if you're listening, there wasn't any other Abdullahs that entered, uh, or Josiahs or Preacher Man. So, so you want to copy that book as well. Um, winner of the round. Um, I'm just going to start off with fan of, okay? Fan of, uh, the email account that starts with fan of. You won the one ounce round plus the book. And then finally, the winner of the, uh, one ounce silver fortune, uh, bar. Bar and see here, drum roll. Uh, the one that starts off with here, we'll finish it. It's at it's at Slicky.net. Okay, that's the uh, domain on this, on this email address, at Slicky.net. You're the winner of the one-ounce bar plus a copy of the book in a format of your choosing. So I'll email each of you individually. Thank you to each of you for, for um for entering the contest. Of course, there's a link down below in the description if you want to check out my book, uh, if you're, if you're not a winner of this. Um, that's something I kind of realized, uh, you know, shortly after I started the giveaways. Well, hang on a second. How many people are going to hold out on, on actually buying the thing in hopes of winning it? Um, uh, well, if you fall into that camp and, and, you know, it's something that you'd be interested in, but, but you didn't win. Um, it's, it's all of, I think, $4.99 on Kindle right now. Um, you can get a free Audible subscription if you haven't already used Audible before. You get your first credit, at least your first book free. Maybe it's more than that. There's a link down below in the description to that as well for Audible. You can get it in paperback and hardcover as well. So look forward to hearing from, from each of you. Um, the final thing I want to talk about here real quick is um, a new program I'm starting uh, here on this podcast. And, and it's for um, podcasts and, and YouTube channels. That, that are looking to get into this content production game or looking up to step up their game or looking to, to, you know, build a larger fan base, essentially. People that are willing to put in a lot of effort, both in their research, their time, their preparation, all of those things, um, put in a lot of effort in terms of content production, consistent content production. People that are relatively new to this, this game or whatever you want to call it, business, whatever. Um, and people that are in this space, this niche of, of precious metals and economics and, and whatnot, right? So what I want to do is each month I want to invite on a guest of, of my choosing, um, uh, of somebody that has a podcast or a channel um, that has between 100 and 1,000 subscribers, somebody that has shown by their history, you know, through through uploads and whatnot, to have a consistent um, Consistent, you know, upload schedule. You know, once a week at least, or you know, at maybe once every two weeks at least. But but certainly more consistent is better. And somebody that shows a lot of thought and effort put into their videos. You know, maybe something that goes beyond just a, a video of them sitting in their truck talking, right? Or something that goes beyond, you know, just a, a quick, you know, video about a, you know, one ounce. Silver round they got in the mail or whatever or a hundred ounce or whatever, you know something that goes into maybe a little bit offering a little more value to the community, a unique voice to the community. All you have to do is basically nominate yourself, or if there's another channel or podcast out there that that you'd like to nominate, just comment down below in the comment section. Say hey, I'd like to uh, talk to you about this, or hey, I think this channel would like to uh, to would be interested in something like this. I think they could use the boost. Um, essentially, this, all it is is basically I, I'd invite them on my channel, which isn't huge, but, but I think would provide a bit of a boost for a lot of these people. We'd have a, you know, an interview, a discussion, basically, about, you know, the topics that we, we talk about here on this channel. Um, something to get them a little more visibility. And, uh, and, and certainly I would like to talk to them too and just provide any, any tips, any advice I could give to them um and, and kind of growing their own channel. Certainly I could make exceptions to those rules in terms of the one hundred to one thousand. If you're brand new to YouTube and you're showing a consistent like I a go-getter, like I wanna grow this and, and, and offer real value to the community, but you're only at like thirty-five subscribers, then I'll make a, an exception to that. or, or, you know, 1,200 subscribers or what what have you. Um, But I look forward to hearing from a lot of people. It's something I want to do on a monthly basis starting here in November. And so uh, part of it's going to be on you guys to nominate yourselves or to nominate podcasts and channels that you enjoy. Well, I've been talking for, you know, way too long here. Uh, This is going to be one of the longest podcasts I've I've recorded in a while now, pushing 35 minutes. I just want to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into this podcast. And God bless.